Okay, here we are. Okay, so on page 888, we're at verse 15, or Pasuk Tesvav, and this section over here discusses the beginning of the succession for Moshe Rabbeinu. For Moshe, Moshe is going to die. He is told that, we're to, we studied last week how Moshe is told, and Aaron is told, that they are going to die because of the sin at the rock, and we discussed that extensively. And now, in this week's parsha, we find Moshe turning to God and asking him to appoint a successor for him. And what we're going to see, one of, the, one of the characteristics that we know of Moshe is his incredible humility. More than any, else, any other characteristic that he has, the specific midah, the specific quality that stands out above all else, above all else excuse me, is that Avish Moshe Anav Me'od Mikola Nashim, that he is incredibly humble more so than all other people. And we'll see really at this pivotal moment in his life, as he's about to hand off the torch, we'll see that humility expressed one more time. Okay? So let's read this together, page 888. Let's go through these psukim together. Uh, short passage, but if we're going to read it carefully, critically, and I think we'll walk away with, I hope, a lot. Okay. So Vaidaber Moshe El Hashem Lemar. Moshe said to Hashem saying. Now that verse is kind of funny because throughout the entirety of the Torah, what do we constantly have? The most common verse in the Torah is Vayedaber Hashem El Moshe Lamar. And then God spoke to Moshe saying. Over here, we have an Moshe, uh, Moshe spoke to God saying. Okay? So what does that mean? Uh, when we say that, uh, you know, the, the, the notion of, the, the word itself, or saying, is a kind of a bit of a funny word. If you and I were writing the Torah, we would say, and God said, or and Moshe said, what does the word saying mean? And God said to Moshe, saying. How do you ever understand that word, right? You see that word in the Torah all the time. What does it mean? Thoughts? Well, there's a common medrash or idea behind it that sometimes maybe the Hashem Moshe Lemur can be to repeat or to say it one more time or to tell it over again. Excellent, excellent, right. So the commentators explain that the word saying, you and I don't use that word. We, we would never use this in a sentence. That I spoke to you saying, well, maybe, uh, but I, would, I spoke to you. Saying is just like extraneous. If I was editing it, I would scratch the word saying out because it's just, it's, it's, it's too much, right? But, but exactly as Jonathan is saying, no pun intended, okay, that, that, uh, that uh, the idea of the word saying at the end of a verse, lamar, means that it's being done, it's not being conveyed for the person themselves, but rather it's being conveyed for others, for the sake of conveying it to others, but more, more broadly, it's for the sake of others. So what that means is Moshe is saying to God, lamar, meaning lamar is usually to say unto others, meaning Moshe is saying to God, I want to know the answer, but not for me. I want to know it, just like when God speaks to Moshe, it says, God said to Moshe, saying. What that means is that God is conveying something to Moshe, and now Moshe is conveying it to us. That's what the word saying means. So over here, Moshe is turning to God and saying, God, I have a question for you, but it's not just for you. I want it for others. I want to make sure that the message gets conveyed to others. That's what Lemar would mean. That's what Lemar always means, but that's what Lemar would mean in this context. And over here now, Moshe, what is the request? What is the statement, the, really the request that, that Moshe has to God? Yifkod Hashem. Um, may God appoint... God who is the God of spirits for all of flesh, a man over the congregation. Okay, so this is a funny, we have to unpack this verse. Again, what we're, about to, what we're trying to, what we're reading is Moshe is asking God to appoint a successor. But in doing so, he now refers to God in a very, very unique phrase. Have you ever heard that word? God who is the God of spirits of all flesh. What does that mean? God who is the spirit, the God of all spirits for all flesh. What does the word Elokei Haruchos mean to you? How do you understand that word? God, the God of spirits. Thoughts? Of all, of all souls. Of all souls, good. Of all souls, good, right? The, the word Ruach 
could sometimes, what is the word spirit in, 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 in Jewish thoughts? Ruach is, is oftentimes associated with one element of our soul. A spirit and a soul, it's not like a, a ghost, but rather a soul. And the idea being, and this is the way that, uh, that uh, the Malbim and Rashi and others understand this, is that Elokei HaRuchos, that, we over, that Moshe is invoking this notion that, that we all have different souls. And the meaning, what does that mean that we have different souls? It doesn't just mean that you have your soul, I have, you, know, you have a car and I have a car. By definition, each of our souls are radically different. Okay, so what he's saying is that you, God, who is the God of all the different souls, we need a leader who could reflect that. Because sometimes you have a leader, you know, sometimes you could have someone who could connect to this type of person, but not that type of person. You'd have someone who understands this type of person, but has no idea what's flying in that person's head, right? Elokei haruchos is God, just like you are the God of all different souls. The implication is we need a leader who has that godly trait, who is able to understand the different types of people. So point number one, critical point number one, when Moshe is already alluding to the type of leader that he, that he thinks the Jewish people need, it's someone who gets it. Not just it, but all the its. Every single person is understood by this leader, okay? Then lechol basar. What does that mean, lechol basar, to all flesh? The person. the person themselves. Good, right. It's focusing, there's the spirit, and then there's the flesh, right? So it seems like there's this understanding. It's the spiritual understanding, but there's also this understanding of the flesh of who they are in a very physical sense as well, right? Think about Moshe's role as a leader. Part of his role was giving the Torah and, and you know, and, and the spiritual elements. But think about all the dialogues we had for the past couple of weeks. They want meat. They want water, right? You have to have someone who also has compassion, right? Someone who's really able to understand, as some of the commentators say, that uh, who, who sees them and understands them, that they're just flesh. At the end of the day, we have our weaknesses, Flesh is meant to have like a bit of a negative connotation. Someone who understands that and sees them for who they are, that at the end of the day we have our weaknesses and you need a leader who can understand that and appreciate that, right? So immediately, again, we see the, the, the notion that, uh, that Moshe is understanding that we need someone who is both lofty and understands the soul of the people and the souls of the varying types of people, but also the flesh understanding uh, their base nature and being compassionate towards them, okay? Ishal aids a person over the congregation. Okay, so let's, let's just pause for a second. Now, I know we're not, we, we didn't read the Parsha before this and the section before this, but where is this coming from? You know, why all of a sudden is Moshe doing this? Why is Moshe now, right now specifically, asking for a successor? You know, in last week's Parsha, we learned, he was told, you are not going to lead the Jewish people to Israel. So at that point, he should say, okay, now God, set up a successor. But why is the wait all the way till here, which is weeks, months, we don't know exactly, and a whole number of sections in between, and specifically now, Moshe is asking for a successor. He's quite old. He was already old. He was 120, right? Uh, he's, he put you to shame, right? Uh, so he's 120, right? Uh, so he was already old. And he was already told already last Parsha, which again, probably took place weeks or months before that he is not going to lead them into the land of Israel. So what specifically is taking place now that's triggering this question? Well, the, we started here with verse 15, mm-hmm. right? But verse 12 says, Go to the mountain and look at the mountain and you will die. Good, good. So, so, so simply, okay, simply put, there is a reminder. It's There's not a, where it's decreed, but it's still where God says, you know what, I've made this decision, you can go look, and, uh, and even gives the reason because you were at Midbar Tzin and you didn't uh, sanctify me before the congregation with the water. That's and right. So God says this, so he probably is... Uh, what did they say? What did Samuel Johnson say? Nothing concentrates the mind so much as an imminent hanging. 
That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, 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 well said. Well said. Okay. So, right. So Moshe, excellent. So, so on the one hand, God is telling Moshe, hey, you're going to, he reminds me we're going to die. We have to ask, why does God remind me we're going to die over here? That's another. Let's go take a step back. So it almost seems like God is leading him into this question. So if you take one section before this, you'd have to actually turn a page, but we're not going to see it inside. The section immediately before this is a section known as the Benos Tzlafchad. These are a number of women who their father dies. They have no brothers. And based on the law that they had known at that time, the land or that the father was supposed to receive in the land of Israel would not be able to fall to the family because the fact that he had no male inheritors. And so these young women, or not, we don't know how old they are, they come to Moshe and they say, hey, what about us? We want a connection to the lands. And God, and Moshe speaks to God and says, you know what, you're right. They're going to inherit the land of their father and without getting into all the details. The Midrashim say that something triggered clicked in Moshe's head. Because the section, what are they talking about? They're talking about inheritance. And these women are saying, hey, we want to inherit our father's land. And Moshe's saying, hey, forget lands. And Moshe's a lady, he doesn't really have lands. Who's going to inherit me? I want successors as well. I want inheritors to my role. Now, if we're following that line of thinking, which the Midrashim do, they say, you know what Moshe really wanted? Moshe had some children, sons of his own. And Moshe really, though he doesn't say so explicitly, Moshe himself wanted his children to be his successors. Now, Moshe is very tactful, and therefore he doesn't say, hey, God, could you please appoint my children as successors? But we could connect the dots. In the section before you have some, some of these, these women who want to ensure that there's an inheritance from their father to them, and Moshe is saying, hey, what about my Yerusha? What about my inheritance? I'm the leader of the Jewish people. I hope my children can get this. Hey, God, could you please ensure that there is someone who succeeds me, hoping, hoping that it's his children who receive the role? Okay, that's the Midrashim say that again, and though, though it's not explicit, we can see it from the Smichas Parshios, from the fact these two sections are next to one another, we understand that Moshe wants his children to take over. But here's a couple of questions, if that's the case. First of all, okay, so I kind of addressed the first question. He doesn't say so explicitly, right? Maybe that's because of tact. Maybe you recognize that's strange. Okay, but there's another question, and that is according to Jewish law, we have a rule, and that is that children do come first in inheriting a role from their parents. I think I've shared, I shared this years ago, my, my son, I shouldn't, I, he was like three at the time, but I remember we were walking in the front lobby of the shul and he said, and he pointed to the picture of Rabbi Leibowitz, uh, the first rabbi of the shul. And he said, who is this? And I said, oh, it's uh, the first rabbi of the shul, Rabbi Herschel Leibowitz. And he said, you know, and, and what happened to him? He said, well, he passed away. He said, oh, he passed away and that's why you're the rabbi now. I skipped the rabbi, you know, I skipped the rabbi in the minute. I said, yeah, 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 exactly. So he said, Abba, when are you going to die so I can become the rabbi? Uh, <laughs> um, so it was kind of cute as a three-year-old. Uh, but, but the truth is, the truth is, it's actually halakhically sound. The Rambam codifies this, but it's based on the Gemara, it's based on Sukkim. And that is that uh, for any role, any role in Judaism, you know, we could call it nepotism, but, but there, is, there is a limited qualified nepotism that exists. The Torah tells us, the halacha is, that if a child is ra'uy, if they're fit, then the child actually does take over the role of their parents. If they're not fit, we don't just give them the role just because. But the first person to, to, to be considered is the child. If they're fit, they get it. So if that's the case, we then have to ask ourselves, why is Moshe concerned? If his children are fit, they're going to get it. If they're not fit, they're not going to get it, right? So where is this? Is it just his anxiety, which we're not going to assume that that's the case, right? And we're going to assume there's something deeper over here, right? So why does Moshe even have to ask? If his children are worthy of it, they'll receive it. If they're not worthy of it, 
they won't receive it. Okay, that's one question in this medrash. Another question, there is another medrash uh, that states the following. There is a section a few weeks ago, which we didn't see together in our class over here, but there's a section where we have uh, Moshe shares his spirit of prophecy with a whole bunch of different, uh, different leaders of the Jewish people. And there's a strange section where it's two people, their names are Eldad and Medad, and they don't, and they are pro- they're, they're experiencing prophecy and they're sharing prophecy. And the Torah tells us that one person overhears them sharing prophecy and runs over to Moshe and says, Moshe, they're, they're experiencing prophecy, um, you know, and, and, you, and, and one of the people next to Moshe say, Moshe, kill them. Moshe, kill them. And you ask yourself, what do you mean? Why, why should he kill them? What, what's wrong? And the Midrashim explain, they fill in the blanks. They say, you know what they were sharing? The message they were sharing was Moshe is going to die and Yehoshua is going to be the successor. That was the message. And therefore... The concern was, and actually it was Yoshua who says, I don't, you should kill them because it was an affront to, to his teacher. It was an affront to Moshe. Yoshua says, don't, what are you, we're crazy, kill them. This is disgusting. How are they going to say that you're going to die? I'm going to take over. That's crazy. Okay, but according to this medrash, right, that means that the people already knew, right? And Moshe says, no, 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 no. Let them, let them continue to share this prophecy. It's a prophecy of God. But that means that they already knew that Yeshua was going to be the successor. That means that Moshe already knew that Yeshua was going to be the successor. So again, we have this question, what's going on over here? Two basic questions. One is, if his children were really worthy, they should get it. If they weren't worthy, they're not going to get it. Two, it seems like they already knew that Yeshua was going to be the successor. Those are the two questions I have on this Midrashic teaching. Let's keep on reading, okay? How could Moses want his children who weren't to take everyone they weren't learned or anything? Well, that's the question. We don't know. Maybe they were. If they were, then they would receive it automatically. If they weren't... I'm sorry? Oh, well, we don't, we don't know what happened to his children. His children... No, well, we do know. His children stayed with him. We know that his father-in-law, Jethro, Yisro, went back. But the children stayed with the Jewish people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they were gone for a little while. That's less clear, less clear. But seemingly she was there as well. Seemingly she stayed as well. Yeah, okay. So now let's go a little bit further and it's going to get even stranger. Okay, let's read these next them together. Okay, so now Moshe now describes in, in, explicitly the role of the leader. He says like this, verse 17, Pasuk Yitzayin. What is the role? Asher Yetzeh Lefneim, he will go out in front of them. Vasher Yavo Lefneim, he will co- come back in front of them. Vasher Yotzeim, Vasher Yiviim, he will take them out and bring them in. Okay, so, so what does this all mean? Again, he is going to go before them and come back before them. He is going to cause them to go out and cause them to come in. Okay, and they should not be like sheep which have no shepherd. Okay, so let, let's try to understand what, what, this, what these words mean. So first of all, the Malbim understands what does it mean to go before them? Someone who goes before them is someone who inspires them, right? Do you think of the great leaders, uh, great generals, great uh, warriors? What would they do? They would boldly go in front of their people. They would say, I'm not afraid. And, that, and when the people, you read, all, you know, you read literature, literature from that time, when they saw you know, Napoleon or whatever it was going in front of the troops, Ah, that gave them a certain energy and everyone's charge. If he could do it, we're going to do it, right? So, so someone who's going to inspire them. Go back before them means someone who leads them. In, when, they're go- when, when do you go back? You go back when you're lo- no longer waging war. Meaning, it's now a time of peace, right? You have, some leaders are great at waging wars. Again, maybe they'll go back to Napoleon. Uh, he was good at fighting. He wasn't very good at, you know, do, you know domestic, uh, you know, whatever, you know, taking care of the country. You have, you have presidents who are great at times of conflict, but then are they so good at times of peace? Are they so good at, at, at building up the economy? Not necessarily, right? So Moshe is saying, we need someone to go out, i.e. to go out in war. But we also need someone who's able to be there at a time of peace. 
right? So both those things are critical. And then Vashir Yotziyim, Vashir means not just to go out in front of them and go back in front of them, i.e. inspire them in times of war, inspire them in times of peace, but also push them out and push them back. What does that mean? That means someone who's able to compel them, someone who has an iron fist, not just an inspiring figure, but someone who has a koach to them, a certain force to them, someone who's able to compel them, okay? Um, now, what's missing from this verse? This is the, the let, let's just appreciate what we just read. What we just read was Moshe's job description for the role of leading the Jewish people, okay? How would you write the role? So what does he say? Someone to go out before them in war, someone to come back and lead them at peace, someone who could compel them. How would you describe, that's Moshe's description, the, that's Moshe's job description for the leader of the Jewish people. If we were to sit around this room together, a bunch of wise individuals over here, how would we write up the job description for leading the Jewish people? A warrior. A warrior, good. They're about to go into it's Israel. Excellent. God, ah, yeah, diplomatic, but, we're but we're missing something we're over here, right? You would expect there's a, right, a spiritual individual, yes. right? A godly individual. Yes, so that's missing. Direct contact with God. That's missing. Really that's right. So that's right. It's very, very strange. Um, it's very strange. Now, some commentators like bend over backwards. The Kliakra says, yeah, that's what the words mean, that vashir yotziyim, vashir yotziyim, someone who compels them to go out and compels them to go in, is an allusion to Torah because you have to force them to keep the Torah even if they don't want to keep it. But it's not explicit. It's kind of weird. Right? He has to bend, he's kind of putting, like, stretch, putting himself into a pretzel because it's very strange. There is no mention in the job description of leading the Jewish people. All you have is the warrior, which of course is critical. They're about to go conquer the land of Israel, but there is no explicit mention of spirituality. Not only that, it sort of negates it when it says, um, where is it? Um, I'm using God our Roet. That they should be like sheep without a shepherd. So that they shouldn't be. They like should not be like sheep without a shepherd. You're saying there's God implying that God's not their shepherd. Okay. Okay. Interesting. 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 Yeah. Okay. So I want to share with you a fascinating uh, uh, answer to this question, which is now going to open up a whole answer some of our questions and now and now help us understand the next few psukim. So the Megala Mukos, the fascinating sefer, suggests that Moshe was actually requesting not for a leader of the Jewish people. Nope. What he was requesting was for a new position to be created. That was the request. Meaning, meaning. You just tell us who this Megala was. What you know, I don't actually know. It's a. Um, I'll, 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 I'll look it up after. Okay, but yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, there's always fascinating ideas there. Okay, so what does the Megala Luka say? He suggests that what Moshe was asking for was a new position. And what is that position? The position that we just read. A secular statesman. Moshe was, you know, when we, we think of the leadership of the Jewish people, and keep in mind, throughout history, the leadership, you know, there's a period, some people are learning Pirkei Yavos during this time of year. In Pirkei Yavos, you have something called Zugos, the pairs. And the pairs, what are the pairs? You have one person who is the head of the academy, and one person who was the, the person who was the statesman, who was the, the Nasi, who had more of a political role, right? There's so many ways you could divide the roles within Judaism, right? In, our, in, in biblical times, what we ultimately have is we have a prophet, you have the, the, the king, you have the high priest, right? So, is the, you know, there, there are different ways you could construct this. The Megala Muko suggests that what Moshe was asking God to do over here was to create a new position, which would be a position which was entirely focused on the physical. Because when you think about it, right, it's very hard for one person to be the spiritual guide and, and the one connected, right? That's part of Moshe's struggle that we spoke about over the past couple of weeks. Moshe is such a spiritual individual, he struggles to be the physical person because 
it's just, I, I, no, he's, he's in the clouds in a good way. He's talking to God. You need the people in the ivory tower. You need the people who are the, the, the elitist and, and pushing the people to the highest spiritual heights. And you also need someone who's the statesman, the general, and all these things as well, right? What Moshe's arguing for is a very compelling vision where God, he says, I want you to create two positions, the spiritual teacher, priest type person, and the statesman. And now let's think about how that answers so many questions. Because maybe indeed they didn't know that Yeshua was the leader as the prophets he told them. But what do we know about Yeshua until this point? His main position is the student of Moshe. We know nothing about Yeshua's war waging. Well, we do actually take that back. We know a little bit of his war waging capabilities. But his primary accolade is that he is the student of Moshe. He never left the tent of Moshe. The tent is always the illusion of Torah study in the, to- in, in the Torah. So Yeshua is a spiritual leader, right? And now God is saying, okay, that's Yeshua. But now I want, I'm asking God, maybe it would make sense. You, God, who knows all the spirits and knows that they're also flesh. I, he's learning from his own mistakes. He's saying, listen, I recognize that in my own leadership, I was entirely focused on the spiritual. He struggled with his physical abilities, his ability to care for them, like as a, as a nursing mother. Remember that, that verse earlier? And he says, therefore, God, maybe create another position where someone is entirely focused on the physical elements of the Jewish people. And now, how does that answer the other questions? And now we can understand. He also, his children, maybe they weren't so spiritual as there's indications that they weren't. But this would be a natural gift to his children because perhaps in this respect, they're able to take over. And therefore, he doesn't have to mention explicitly because if they aren't fit, if they are fit for this role, they'll get it naturally, right? So do you see what's happening over here? Yes, Moshe knew. What the Megal Mukas is just that Moshe knew that Yeshua was going to take over. But now God is saying, you know, Moshe is saying, you know, maybe God makes sense to break up Yeshua's role into two. Let Yeshua take care of the spiritual needs of the people and that's fine. But let there be a new role. And he knows my children are not fit for the spiritual role. But let there be a new role, a physical, material role and with that, my children will be the natural successors. He doesn't even have to mention it by name because it's so obvious and so clear that his children would take over in that regard. Make sense? Makes sense, okay? It's a whole different way of learning, looking, learning, looking at these psukim. So with that in mind, with that in mind, let's now read the next psukim because I think we're going to see something fascinating, okay? We read these next verses very carefully. So how does God respond to Moshe? Apparently, not the way he wanted. Go take Yoshua, ben Nun. Someone who does have that spirit that you're referring to, and place your hand upon his head. Okay? So what's the response? The response is no. Okay? Moshe is saying, hey, split up into two. And God says, uh-uh, I'm giving it all to Yoshua. But let's read these verses carefully. God now says to, to, to Moshe, and I want to make a ceremony now. I want to make it clear that Yoshua is the successor. So go take him and place your hand on him. Okay? Verse 19. And stand him up in front of Elazar, the Kohen, and in front of the whole congregation, and give him a charge in front of their eyes. In other words, like, let everyone know he's your successor. You know, unfortunately, in some circles, sometimes in whatever, sometimes that happens in Hasidic circles, you know, the, the rabbi, the grand rabbi doesn't appoint his successor. And then you have these major, it doesn't really happen in Hasidic circles, you have these major fights. Who's the one who's, God's saying, no, no. If there's confusion, who's going this is what we're going to do. We're going to make a ceremony. And you're going to go and you're going to put your, first you're going to put your hands on Yoshua. And then you're going to stand him in front of Elazar the Kohen. Elazar is the successor of Aaron, right? Our own son, Elazar, is the next, is the new Kohen Gadol. And stand him there and, and, and give him a charge. 
and give him of your glory. Okay, what does it mean to give him of your glory? It's not so clear what this means, but uh, it, it seems like the idea is that by having the ceremony, that demonstrates that, Yosh- that, that Moshe is giving things over to Yoshua, right? When you think of the, the presidential, uh, you know, when, when they hand things over from one president to the next, it's a way of showing, I respect you, I'm giving this over to you. It's a way of giving over your glory to them, right? So similarly, the purpose of this whole ceremony is that everyone knows that Moshe is on board and Moshe is giving his glory over to Yoshua, okay? Laman Yishmu Nas so that all the Jewish people will hear, okay? And Yoshua should stand in front of Elazar. And he shall ask of the Urim Betum. What are the Urim Betumim? Those are the, the breastplates that the Kohen Gadol had. And the bre- in the breastplate of the Kohen Gadol, they, the, there is a spirit of prophecy. And the Kohen Gadol would have the ability to communicate to God through the Urim Betumim. So now Yoshua is being, Moshe is being told that Yoshua is going to ask Elazar what to do. And he's going to communicate to him, Elazar is going to tell him what to do, um, you know, through his, 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 the breastplate that he has, through his mouth, uh, they will go in, through his mouth, they will go out, him and all the Jewish people with him, and the entire congregation, okay? Vayas Moshe, verse 22, Moshe did as God commanded him, he took Yoshua, and he stood him up, in front of Elazar and in front of the whole congregation. And he placed his hands on him. And he commanded him, as God told Moshe. So what's interesting about this? Two things. Well, we'll start with one. One is the Torah tells us twice that Moshe did exactly as God told him. In the beginning of verse 22, it says, God, Moshe did like God commanded him. At the end of verse 23, it says, and Moshe did like God commanded him. There's one problem. He didn't. At least, in at least two places, Moshe did not fulfill the instructions that God gave him. They have homework. I'm fasting. I'm sorry. What do you think? You work on this. Come on. Supposed so, to put his hands on him first. Good. So one thing, excellent. One difference is that if you're if you're reading carefully, what does it say in verse 18? It says, "Take Yoshua, place your hands on him, and then in verse 19, and then stand him up in front of Elazar the Kohen." Right. So Moshe flips the order. He stands him in front of Elazar, and then he places his hands on him. Seems subtle, but good. One observation. What's the other difference? Even more glaring. Moshe, God says one thing, Moshe says something else. Look, look, at, look, at, verse, look at the end of verse 18. What does he say? Visamachta es yadcha alav. What does that mean? Place your... Hands on him. What does Moshe do? Look at uh, verse 23. He placed his hands, plural. Strange, right? God tells Moshe, place your hands on him, one hand. And Moshe goes ahead and places both hands on him. So now we have a strange thing going on. On the one hand, the Torah is telling us, Moshe did exactly what God said, right? Twice, emphasizing that. And at the same time, it's quite clear that the Torah is telling us this for a reason. Because on face value, when you read it by yourselves, it actually indicates that he did not follow God's instructions. One, he mixed up the order. He first did, he was supposed to do this smicha, this putting his hand on first, and then standing in front of him, Elazar. And B, the fact that he put, instead of one hand, he put both hands. 
So what's going on over here? What are we reading? What's this all about? Okay. So let's let's try to understand. Uh, let's try, first let's understand what what exactly is smicha. What is the idea of putting one's hand on someone's head? What is that all about? Blessing. So blessing. Good. What else do we put hands on on a head of something? Sorry. Okay, trust. Okay, good. I think in the Torah you'll see different things, yes? The sacrifices. The Excellent. So in the sacrifice, what are we doing? Before we bring a sin offering, a person would go ahead and do smicha and different offerings, but, but specifically with smicha, what we're doing is basically taking a part of ourselves, so to speak, and putting it on the next. And when we're giving a blessing, we're really doing the same thing. I'm saying, you know, take of me and give it to this, you know, person, when a person gives a blessing to a child or whatever it is, they place their hands on their head. It's a way of giving of myself and, and you know, there's this idea of almost like leaning on them. You don't do it to a child, they'll topple over. But, but with an animal and a carbon, you're supposed to lean on them because you're basically giving of yourself onto them. Right? So the idea of smicha is I'm giving something over. It's a transmission of some sorts. So let's try to understand this, right? God tells Moshe, don't do regular two-handed smicha. Do a one-handed smicha. Where did you say that again? In the uh, verse, um, sorry, um, at the end of verse 18. Visamachta is yadchalav. Lean your hands upon him. So if God, if smicha means giving over of yourself, and Moshe and God is telling Moshe to give do a one-handed smicha to Yoshua, what is the implication? Hmm. The implication is that he's not meant to be giving over everything to him. He's holding back a little bit, is right? You don't have to. No, no. People do this uh, at all times. You know what? It, it, it's it's it, it's the classic way of giving a bracha to someone to place your hands on them. Yeah, absolutely. So would you do to anyone? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm not a bracha dispenser, but, uh, but people who do, you know, that would be the appropriate, the appropriate way to do it, yeah. Um, but if he's giving one hand, if he's doing one hand, that means, again, that there's a partial giving over. You know, initially we said that God rejected his request, right? Again, the way we're understanding this dialogue from the Megala Mukim is that Moshe is saying, hey God, hey God, please God, I want my, my, my children to take over in this new role. And God says, no, get Yoshua. But there's something else going on if we're reading carefully. God then says, okay, Moshe, only place one hand. So what, meaning, he's still, he's not giving everything over. So where's the rest of the leadership going? If he's not giving everything over and Moshe's children aren't the ones getting anything, who else is giving, being given some of the leadership over here? We see it explicitly in the Pesukim. Elazar HaKohen. Who is Elazar HaKohen? It's his nephew. It's a nephew, or the Torah actually tells us, was like a son to him. Aaron, his brother, his children, grew up on the, the, the lap, so to speak, of Moshe. Moshe was their teacher. Moshe taught them. So over here he's saying, only give partially over to Yoshua, but there's going to be some spiritual stuff that's going to mean stay in your family. Who is that? It's going to stay with Elazar, right? So God disagrees with Moshe. We're not giving it to your children, but I'm going to leave it partially in the family that there's going to be an individual who is going to be a statesman, Yoshua, and he's going to be a prophet, Yoshua, and he's going to be a spiritual leader, teacher of Torah, Yoshua, but there's still going to be something saved within the family, and that's with Elazar HaKohen. Okay? So now let's try to understand uh, the, the next steps. So if that's the case, if the goal was for there to be this divided leadership a little bit, Right? And as a gift to Moshe, Moshe is saying, hey, uh, uh, keep on doing that. Uh, please, Hashem, I want to have, I want to have something maintained in the family. So Hashem says, okay, fine. I'm go- I acquiesce. I'm going to give something to, 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 to Lazar as a way of keeping in the family. The rest of it's going three quarters to Yoshua, a little bit to saved for Lazar. 
Now let's think about what the ceremony is supposed to look like. Moshe is going to come there and stand in front of the Jewish people and all the Jewish people are gathered and Eleazar is standing there and he places one hand in front of him. If you're watching, right? You ever, you ever watch any political interaction whatsoever? You watch it like a hawk and it gets analyzed at degrees. And you see he did a side eye. He looked this way. You, know, you, know, you see when the president, you know, when there's the succession, was he smiling during the, you know, all the details are going to be analyzed at degree, right? And Moshe's going to get up there and do something very strange, place one hand over him. Right? And people are going to understand, what's he doing? He's only giving it partially to Yoshua. This is embarrassing. It's embarrassing to who? It's embarrassing to Yoshua, but it's also a little bit embarrassing to Eleazar. Because what it's saying is that, Moshe, had you done it properly, then it would really all go to Yoshua. Really, Yoshua could and should assume the leadership of the Jewish people, from the physical to the spiritual. But in doing so, in putting one hand, you're holding something back, and now that you're holding something back, it's going to stay in the family. So it's a little bit embarrassing for Eleazar. The only reason he's getting this is because Moshe held back. If he didn't hold back, Yeshua would receive everything, right? So now it makes sense. What did God tell him to do? He said, do this smicha privately, right? Again, let's go back to verse 18. God said to Moshe, take Yeshua, just him, and place your one hand on him. No one's watching. It's behind closed doors. It's just Moshe and Yeshua. Then, verse 19, stand him up in front of Elazar and the whole congregation. Now you go to the whole ceremony. But no one knows what took place behind closed doors, right? This was a way of saving face for Elazar because it would have been embarrassing for Elazar. Okay, so now we understand what God wanted him to do. God says, do this one-handed smicha, hold something back for your family. Don't do it in front of Elazar because it would be embarrassing for him. Okay, and that's the whole plan. What does Moshe do? Does Moshe listen? Moshe says, you know what? I made a mistake. I made a mistake. Really, really, it seems like it should all really go to Yoshua. And nothing should stay with the family, right? Remember, it's not only that. If you look, I, I just would, would add one thing before we even get there, right? Um, if you look at verse 21, what does it say? Before Allah the Kohen, shall he stand? Who shall inquire of him the judgment of the Urim before Hashem? In other words, what, what God was saying is that Yoshua's connection to God is going to be limited. It's going to have to work through Elazar. In other words, he was make, adding this new role, which was going to be this spiritual role. And now Moshe's saying, wait, you're doing it just because I'm asking for it? Really, Yoshua could receive everything? Well, if it's a gift for me, I decline the gift. If it's just for my sake, if, you're just, if God was saying it because God really wanted, okay, he has to listen. But if it's being given as a gift, you're allowed to say no to a gift. And that's exactly what Moshe does. Moshe realizes at this moment that maybe he was mistaken in his request. Moshe realizes that Yeshua really should be both the spiritual and the physical leader. And therefore, what does he do? He gives him everything. He goes ahead and he does it too. Have yas Moshe kashetiv Hashem. Oh, so verse 22. He does exactly as God commanded him. He's going to give him a two-handed smicha. If he does two-handed smicha, he gives him everything. He doesn't have to do it privately. He could do it publicly. And that's what he does. He invites the whole congregation. Everyone's there, right? And in front of everyone. He places both of his hands on him. He says, it's a gift for me, a gift for my family. I'm wrong. Really, it should all go to Yeshua. And he does exactly that. He gives Yeshua everything. And Yeshua becomes the sole leader with all of Yeshua, all of Moshe's spiritual capacities. And he becomes both the physical and spiritual leader of the Jewish people. Joshua. Joshua. Correct. 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 <laughs> no, and that's exactly... So good. So this is exactly the point. This is that uh, over and over again, it says... Over and over again, it says that he does... The Torah is telling us that what he did was he was... This is exactly what God wanted. Because since it was a gift, 
If God says, you know, I want you to do this mitzvah, you say, well, I don't want to. Then of course, he's getting a punish. You know, talk to the rock, hit the rock. It's a problem, right? But over here, the Torah says twice. It has to go out of its way twice because you and I reading it are like, wait, Moshe dis- disobeyed Hashem. But if we understand that this was all done as a gift to Moshe, then you could also understand that Moshe has the right to say no to the gift, and therefore he's not punished. He's allowed to do this. This is exactly as God commanded, right? So what you have over here is this, the way we're reading this now is a fascinating little passage where had we not had this passage, everything would have went as scheduled. Yeshua was supposed to be the leader of the Jewish people. But Moshe, realizing that he has no legacy, turns to God and says, God, you know, uh, what about me? What about my family? And Hashem says, okay, we're going to create a role for you. And at that moment, Moshe seemingly regrets even asking the question, seeing that he, he wasn't necessarily right in asking the question. And therefore, the, you know, he goes ahead and he declines this gift. Moshe's told, you're going to have this legacy. It's going to be good. It's going to be for you and your family. And Moshe says, no. He maintains the way the leadership was supposed to be. And he goes ahead. And the last thing, you know, the, the, the thing he does is he's about to really pass on the baton. He's, instead of holding on to something himself, he goes ahead and he acts incredibly selflessly. You know, Moshe's humility is not just, is not a one-time thing. All the way to the end, at a time of Moshe, God is trying to give him that legacy gift. Don't worry, we won't forget you. We're going to give it to your family. It's going to maintain your family. And Moshe says, absolutely not. There is no prophet like Moshe. Not only in his prophecy, but especially, and more, not only in his prophecy, but also in his humility and his ability to say no and his ability to go ahead and act incredibly graciously in order to pass things on exactly the way they're supposed to be. So really this passage over here was not about asking for a successor. That would have happened on its own. It's about this inner struggle with Moshe about legacy, right? Think about our own lives, right? We think about ourselves. We think about what's going to be after we live, you know, after we're here. And sometimes we get so focused on the legacy, we lose sight of the bigger picture. You know, we're thinking about what's, where, where's my name going to be? Who's going to remember me? Is that what it's about? Or it's about the impact. It's about actually having the best thing possible, right? And, and, and Moshe realizes that. There's this moment where Moshe thinks about, oh, my legacy, my legacy, and then realizes, no, there's something bigger than a legacy. It's called doing what's right. And God's keeping score. I don't need my, my name on a plaque. I don't need my name on a book. It really matters what are you ultimately doing. And Moshe realizes the only reason God's doing this is for my own ego, for my own, you know, feeling good about my own family. That's not necessary. That's not important. Sorry? Who was Joshua? He was a student. He was an incredibly qualified student. Not part of the family. <coughs> no, no. As far as we know, we know nothing about his father. A student of Moshe. Nun, Nun. All we know is he's from the Nun. I believe there are mystics who talk about Nun is, a, is typically is seen as like a, a lowly letter. It is, you know, the Nun is represented by in the, in the, in the Ashray prayer. Um, you know, it's, uh, the letter Nun is missing. All the letters, in the, all the letters, the Alapes are there. The Nun is represents Nefilah, represents lowliness. Yeshua comes from, from, from the dust, but he's, but, he's, but he's able to, but that's exactly what we look for in, in Jewish leadership. Cor- correct, correct, correct. Okay, so not the most, so a subtle, a subtle message over here, but I think an important one. Again, reading these verses carefully, and I hope with an important lesson about the fact that, again, sometimes we get so fixated on our legacy, we lose sight of what we're trying, what we're trying to do is accomplish and do, and, and, and again, we don't need our name anywhere. We need to do what's right for the sake of doing what's right. God's keeping score. That's the lesson Moshe taught us. Yeah, my family's not going to have anything. It's okay. I'm doing what's right because it's right. You win. And, and that's the lesson that Moshe leaves us with as he passes on the torch to the next generation. Okay. Have a great day. God picks that one.